1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Wandering DMs. I'm Paul. And I'm Dan. And on
0: today's uh, episode of Wandering DMs, we have a very special guest, namely Griffith M. Morgan III, a.k.a. Griff, I'll be calling him, uh, who is the director and editor of Secrets of Blackmore, the, the big indie film about early role-playing games and Dave Arneson and Blackmoor. Uh, Griff, welcome to the show. We're so happy to have you. Yeah, it's nice to finally see you guys same here we you know we've chatted for a year or two frankly on the internet Twitter and email and forms and like stuff like that so getting the, an opportunity to actually chat face to face is is kind of a special treat for us here now the other there's another special treat of course you Griff are the first guest on wandering DMs for this year um, and I'm told that you have a that that that's particularly special because you have a special announcement about that and what is that
2: well yeah uh... It was in 1971 when Dave Arneson and his friends, Dave Arneson put out these announcements and started making this thing that was different from everything else they'd done. So, uh, this year it makes 50 years of fantasy role-playing and the first fantasy campaign started just, uh, it, I mean, it's hard to say when, but it, it, it definitely began in 1971. So we're looking at, um, Fifty years of fantasy role playing this year, which is pretty pretty exciting.
0: Awesome! That is really fantastic. I, you know, I'm a little uh, I'm a little younger than the guys that started uh, the Blackboard Gaming sessions, and the funny thing is the um, the role playing hobby very closely tracks my my birthday actually. So it's actually really close. <laughs> <laughs> really? That's also actually really pretty close to actually when I was born, to be perfectly frank. <laughs> <laughs> oh okay. What month? Yeah. Uh, what month? Th- three, th- three, 3 months back is what it is.
2: 3 months back. So yeah. you were on in October, September.
0: September, okay. Yeah. okay. Yeah. So good September. good timing oh. mom and dad. Good timing. <laughs> well, what, what, what day in September? Uh, uh I, I will, uh, um, uh, for security purposes, I will tell you that's one of the secrets, the secrets of wandering DMs that I will tell you right after the show. Okay. No, I'm just wondering, cause I, it seems like I
2: meet all these people and they have the same birthday and, and, and so, you know, I'm just like, I get curious. <laughs>
0: I'll, so. tell, I'll tell you right after the show. Now, so we have been promised the official secret of Blackmore near the end of the show, <laughs> so we'll be. Yeah. So hang tight, wait for that, as well as other things. Uh, now, Griff, the first thing I usually ask, and we don't have to spend too much time on it, but the first thing I normally ask our guests is like, what did they get started in gaming? I'm assuming with you, it was original D&D, is that right?
2: No, my whole story is really weird. Uh, uh, it was like 1975 or so. Uh, my buddy Justin turned me on to Blitz by Avalon Hill nice. And -hmm. and I remember playing a game of Panzer Blitz and being utterly dumbfounded by the complexity of the rules. And I just felt really stupid. And then, um, um, not long after that, he took me over to this building over at the university of Illinois campus. And the building was known as the computer education research lab. And I had my first experience with computing and, um, and uh, through that, I discovered this game called Letter D, like like lower, lowercase d, lowercase n, lowercase d. And it was this maze uh, dungeon game, which uh, Justin and I were obsessed with, uh, Lord of the Rings. That's all, you know, that's all we ever talked about was stupid Star Trek and Lord of the Rings. We were total nerds. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that's how I started playing D&D was on computers back in '75. And no, uh, it wasn't until seventy seven that I discovered paper D and d, and I thought it was really clever that somebody had taken the computer game and turned it into a paper <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> you know. and uh, that that you know it took me about six months to realize I just refused to accept that the thing I was doing first wasn't the first thing. Mm. Um, it's really hard to you know un let go of your your biases. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of how I got into it. There's a lot more to it, you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, once you get a little taste of it, you come back for more and you just never really stop.
0: Hear that. Yep. Yep. I hear that. Well, let's start talking about stuff that has, has, has you, you've dredged up in the work for the Secrets of Blackmore movie. And it, it, just in case any of our viewers don't know what that is, thank you, Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so that's an indie movie you've been working on for for, for quite a long time. Um, let me ask this: so obviously a lot, you know, Blackmore was created by Dave Arnison, uh, yeah. uh, co-creator of D D. Most people would say, um, did you ever get a chance to meet Arneson in person ever, or no. or did you did you miss that? Yeah,
2: it's it's funny because when I was talking to Malia, you know, she's sort of. She she kind of commented like it's really sad that you never got to meet Dave, uh, and I was like, you know, it's actually as a historian and as sort of sort of his biographer, you know, um, it's it's almost better that I that I that I have that barrier between mm. me and Dave, so I can still kind of maintain a certain objectivity, um, and that you know I think that's what allowed us with the movie. We got a chance to sort of step away from things. We, a lot of people wanted us to do like sort of a slam piece where we'd get out into the whole like, you know, he said this, he said that. Who really created D D? Whatever, and so uh, not being that closely tied to anybody, it was easier to just observe what what was there. Um, and so, I mean, I you know, I was a little bit biased because I got back in '77 as a kid. Maybe seventy-eight. I found a copy of First Fantasy Campaign, and uh, the FFC is pretty astounding and also pretty confusing. Uh, it's it's not very well written. It was just like uh, Dave Arneson's notes about his campaign that he ran, and uh, and it took a long time to really understand what he was doing in his campaign because he was doing so much more than D and D was doing, um, and so. Uh, I don't know. I think I get more out of the FFC reading it now nearly 50 years later than I did when I first got it back when it came out.
0: I can Um, see that. You know, it's funny because I just got a copy of the FFC myself like about a year ago, actually. And it's interesting to hear your thoughts about that because it is kind of confusing to read Um, and it it does take some labor to kind of put the pieces together. But there's a lot of really just like, wow ideas in it of like wow you were doing this and this was part of it wow you know really fascinating stuff there you
2: yeah, know and that's the thing i i i don't know if the movie or you know here's the movie uh got my owl um <laughs> that's the movie um unfortunately we're like negotiating for distribution on the movie um so you can't have it it's just i have it but you don't get to have it yeah <laughs> because you had to pull everything offline so this is great. I get to do a, a show with you guys and, and promote the movie that I won't let you see until we with <laughs> the distribution company, which could be like two months from now. I don't know. Nope. So sort of in a. In a it
1: in was a, in available a there for a little while, right? Because I remember watching it uh, some months ago. Um, I think on Vimeo. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Good. I'm, I'm glad yeah, I, didn't I mean, hallucinate
2: yeah. that. <laughs> no, it was available. We have to honor. There are certain, people, you know, yeah. people that bought it as a. There, you could rent it and watch it for like 72 hours or something like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the people who bought it will have to make sure to, you know, if they contact us and they're like, "Oh, I can't watch it anymore," we'll have to honor that, right? And, right. and make sure that they can still see it. But um, we just cannot sell it. I, I don't know. You know, I don't know. It's. I'm not a businessman. That's just how it works. Great. agent said pull everything down we said okay so now you can't see the movie that we're promoting today
1: which is- <laughs> well we will so obviously- we'll be sure to update our our viewers uh and the right. wandering dm's audience when it is available i hope, hope you'll you'll let us know griff and we'll we'll relay that okay. yeah <laughs> and
0: obviously that's the the thing that's on a lot of our minds and uh, some of our some of our live viewers in the chat actually are asking where can we possibly see it uh, we will remind our viewers of course that your website is secretsofblackmore.com and you've yep. got a blog there and you've got updates so we would we would we would suggest people follow secretsofblackmore.com for updates and hopefully hopefully that distribution will come through and it'll have a big wide audience very very soon we're all hoping. Yeah. Yeah, sure. we're
2: excited about that. I mean you know the movie's done so um, or, or, this part of the movie is done. We have a lot more footage. We want to do more interviews, um, and document things with people that we weren't able to interview before. Um, and our real focus is the Blackmore campaign, and maybe a little bit of uh, uh, Bill Barker's Empire of the Pebble Throne. Nice. Um, just because those are uh, sort of unknown. Everybody knows about Greyhawk. Uh, there's a lot of there are a lot of products that can that allow you to slide into Greyhawk and play a game inside of that world setting. But Blackmoor and Greyhawk were really kind of the same world setting. Um, When it started, they were on the same map. And the people in the Twin Cities, if they were down in Lake Geneva, they would bring their characters from Blackmoor into Greyhawk, and the Greyhawk characters would visit Blackmoor. There's a famous write-up of, uh, I think it was Rob Koontz or or Dave Arneson did a a, sort of a post-game write-up about running Rob Kuntz and Gary Gygax through the um, what is it called, the, the City of the Gods you know so these guys are the, you're like the, the top D&D players in the world, the guys that created it, I mean that's you know, the that's like really the the epicenter is these people when it comes to the creation of D&D talking about their experience of going through a module that, that Arneson had created for his world setting um I don't know, there's just so much exciting stuff like that with the old stuff. Um, but yeah, that's really our focus and and I think I was talking to you guys before we started the show I'm like, I really want to promote the indies. You know, there are people out there working on doing, I hate the term OSR but they're doing traditional role playing or retro role playing mm-hmm. using all of the older game systems or maybe uh, sort of uh, upgrading whatever they feel needs to be changed in an older system to bring it up to you know, whatever level they think it needs to be at. And so I'm always trying to promote indies by you know putting them on Twitter and, and just saying like, you know, go check out this person. They're doing cool stuff. And um and I feel that way also about like the uh, old designers. Um I was just talking to uh Stefan Dinehart about Giant Lands yesterday. You know, and that's it's Jim Ward. You've got uh I think Ernie wrote the Ernie Gygax wrote the forward, you know. Um what's his name? The artist, uh, uh, I was talking to you about the artist. He's like the famous D and D artist. Anyway, uh, Larry did...
1: Elmore, Larry Elmore. Yeah. yeah
2: Larry, <laughs> you know, I'm just like to see these guys, this team come together with this young guy that's helping them do it. That really believes in the old way of doing it. Um, and that goes for anybody. I'm not trying to do a pitch for just that game, but that's the, that's a really good example of the kind of game I'm like, I want to play in that game. You know, uh, there's like you know now that they got the dungeon hobby shop reopening up in lake geneva i want to go there and when gary hakan isn't running i want to go up there for like a weekend and see if i can get you know uh jim ward to run me through a game of of giant lands so that i can you know what i mean it's like i really really have the experience of it um so yeah i'm just i'm all about promoting all the old stuff like that i think there's a lot there um, it's a really rich material that a lot of people aren't aware of. Um, and and if you take the time to dig it up, you can find some amazing things that'll that'll just you know it'll just open up your head to some new crazy new ideas for RPGs that are actually old ideas. So that's my big pitch.
1: <laughs>
2: no,
0: we appreciate that. I mean, you know, yeah. Paul and I kind of work in the same space. Those are the people that we like to follow and like to promote ourselves um so we're you're we're we're, we're in good friends we're, we're in good company on yeah on that kind of support you know it's funny because even i myself kind of kept the osr label at arm's length for quite a while uh yeah. you know kind of didn't want to take a particular label but it's all those people that you're talking about are the people that i follow and want to want to see supported so yeah
2: well um um yeah, the OSR scene is kind of odd. No, it's strange because uh, you're talking about a, a game, and 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 it was invented. You know, I I personally think Dave Arneson invented it, but I think that Gary Gygax came in and really polished it and made it a more uh, palatable thing. Um, so that wouldn't be just something that was played in Dave Arneson's basement, but it was something played everywhere. Um, um, and then Tunnels and Trolls came along, and they did their sort of slant on it but it was this sort of thing that was done by essentially just i mean gary was maybe like in his 30s when it came out dave arneson was like 22 or something in there 23 um so they're just a bunch of kids playing games together and making games for each other and uh i don't know that's just like the idea of that just tickles me you know like i'm gonna come over to my house i'm gonna go down to my basement i'm gonna do I came up with this weird, I know we've been playing war games, but we're going to go down to my basement and, <laughs> okay, I want you to sit there and um, you're you're a, a footman for the king you know, the baron here, and you're in this place called Blackmoor and uh, all of you that are sitting at the table are footmen, and something's happened, and we need you to go down into the dungeon and, and retrieve something for us because this wizard and his, his uh, associate Balrog has stolen something from me like maybe a sword or something or a gem, who knows what, and I need you to go down into this place and, and find them. And in the process, you know, Arneson's players go through all these crazy adventures, and um, I don't know, that's astounding to me, That the creation of all of this, which is what the whole movie was about, really. I'm sort of deviating from what you asked me. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I just I just think all of this stuff is like, fascinating, you know. Um, but what I was going to say is like, oh yeah, that's where I was going with all that. You know, I started out with people playing these things in their basements and they might like, uh, write a letter to their friend and, and include like a mimeograph copy of the homemade rules they made. And so they're trading rules and it's this real grassroots sort of thing. Um, and, uh, and then they publish it and it becomes this other thing. And, and like any product, once it becomes a product, there are all these, uh, complications that arise you know somebody's throwing a million dollars on the table and everybody's jumping at it um which you know i'm being a bit uh metaphorical there but that's really what was going on and so all these tensions arise over ownership and and credit and money fame all of that (laughs) um and so the game in many ways has really become a, a corporate product and so it's it's very similar to uh you know want to get your pepsi and your taco bell um and so uh not that i don't know it just kind of complicates things and so so that's part of my whole thing with getting back to the whole black grassroots and osr thing the osr people that are making games none of them are going to make millions of dollars they're just doing it out of love uh for for the genre and and uh so um yeah so it's a little bit different now the game's a little bit different
0: so, you know, even aside, you know, even before we get to the point about the, the, the corporate, you know, money issues, <clears throat> which is its, its own whole story, you know, I kind of wanted to ask about having done all these interviews, how much you thought the, the game had changed just from actually being written down, because a lot of the people in that original Blackmore game will fairly consistently say that they didn't have rules of the game. They didn't have any right. books they were really learning how uh, Arneson's world played through discovery in play itself. Uh, right. to begin with They didn't have character sheets, supposedly. Certainly didn't have rules. And uh, you know, Bob Meyer says this, and Greg Spenson says this. And I yeah. think Bob said, we were so thrilled when D&D was finally published, because we could take the rules and then start arguing with Arneson about them and point to the book and say, that's <laughs> not how this is supposed to work. And Arneson would just laugh at us. So, right. right. So finally, <laughs> I'm wondering, like, having had all these interviews, then there's a little bit of a Rashomon effect here is you get all these different perspectives about what the rules were. Do you at this point, do you think that Arneson really had fixed rules or was he iterating all the time or was he do you think maybe he was just ad libbing his game? Do you think he actually had fixed rules or not? You know,
2: I think he had some fixed rules. Um, yeah. I wanted to, you know, I kind of I, I meander a lot of times when I'm talking and I talk I, I can talk like you guys were like we got an hour and then the show's done I'm like I'm going to be half done
1: <laughs> you know
2: but no my point was with with the whole talking about like the way it began and everything one of the tragic things is that when because it becomes a commodity and it's purchased the people that make the commodity have no value the, the only thing that has value is the commodity so D&D as a brand is purchased and and you know it's it's just a natural process in business it's not I'm not saying good or bad but what happened when like Wizards of the Coast got D&D is that all the designers that had worked for TSR suddenly like they all thought they were going to go off to Wizards of the Coast and get jobs Wizards of the Coast didn't want them you know and so that's one of the things like when I was talking about Giant Lands it's like you got people that were like TSR people that are working on these things and I really think it's important that you know people start looking around for games that are done by these old designers and exploring what was there Mm -hmm. but um so that's enough of my big spiel about the old crowd. Sure. Um, I've been I've been called a toxically nostalgic grognard, which I think <laughs> is a term for me. I'm just toxically nostalgically gatekeeping the old ways. But um, um, you were talking about the rules. What's interesting is is that everybody they they're the three primary uh, game masters, sort of representative of the three sort of schools of play. Um, in the early days. And one of the people we interviewed for the movie was Kieran A. Bacall. Yeah. Um And Kieran A., I don't know if you ever talked to Kieran A. And he knows... He's kind of like... He wasn't uh, like a core member of the Blackmore Bunch, but he was always a little bit off to the side. And he worked at uh, Adventure Games for Dave Arneson in the 80s. Okay. Um, And he was really tied in with uh, Phil Barker, who did Empire of the Paddle Throne. And uh, so he kind of knows... Where a lot of the skeletons are buried when it comes to a lot of this stuff. It's it's interesting to talk to him about things. You hear things that maybe you shouldn't know, I don't know. But uh uh but he had played, he's the most what's interesting about him is that he played I'll give you the spiel. I mean he, he says, you know, I played a game called um, Greyhawk with a guy named Gary Gygax. And and I played a game called Blackmore with a guy named Dave Arneson, and I played this other game called Tecumel with M.A.R. Barker, but I've never played Dungeons & Dragons. Hmm. Um, and so what he was sort of getting at was that we have this framework of role-playing. They're all using role-playing as, as the framework for, for running their games. But they're each doing it differently. Um, they each had unique styles. Uh, uh, Gygax was very linear. He wanted um, you know, the whole party is together. They all go marching off to do things together. They look at, you know, the same problems together. They stay together. Arneson, he describes as as the Lord of Chaos. And he's like, oh, my God, you know, when you play with Arneson, you got eight players. He's got eight stories in his head. And, like, one player's over here. Another player's, like, in the forest over here. Another player's, like, branched off. And they're, like, down at the inn. And other guy's down, you know, just... Like, in a session, Arneson had an innate ability to track multiple players doing different things which is astounding to me because i can barely keep track of just i'm more of a guy type dm you know like can we just stick together so it's not too complicated because you're really <laughs> gonna screw your head up um and then phil barker because barker's world was so developed he'd been developing it since he was a kid and, and he was older than 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 arneson and and uh and guy um and so his world was so developed that a lot of playing with Barker was just sitting there while he told you stories about his world setting, okay. you know. And mm-hmm. and so it was like it was uh, much more like a, I don't know, like you could change things in the story, but a lot of it was, you know, he would pause and then he would go off on maybe some side thing about historical events that happened in his world setting that, you know, ten thousand years ago this this country invaded that country and that's what caused this. That's why the people you're talking to don't want to talk to you, they think that you guys are jerks because you're wearing green outfits instead of blue outfits. You know, uh, it was just really deep like that. So, uh, you know, there's that aspect of the different kinds of DM. They, their role playing was all these kind of the same, but they, they they had a very personal style in the way they would run their games. But um, um, as far as the rules are concerned, I think that Arneson... Arneson was always very facetious and people would take his comments very literally. So when
1: uh,
2: <laughs> he was asked after, after problems arose with him and TSR and Gygax and, and whatever, you know, people would ask him or they, they quoted him as having said, there are no rules, blaming that he yeah. really hadn't done anything. Um, and really what he was referring to is uh, the, the concept that, that Wesley got out of Taunton's Strategos war game, which was, uh, he paraphrased it, it was, it was essentially that a player should be allowed to do anything, or they should be allowed to try anything, but not always successfully. Um, and kind of an irony, I mean, here we are, you know, 50 years down the road from the beginning of Blackmore. When we were finishing the movie, we were on six years of working on the movie and i'm trying to find things to put you know to show on screen documents and things and i've had first fantasy campaign i mean i read it cover to cover as a kid uh, you know how you are when you're a teenage gamer you just like, you get out your favorite book and you read it a million times um so i'd read that a million times and then i go to the i go into that and i find this reference where where Arneson says something about like you know you know you should always remember that that the most important thing is that that anything is possible and, and but not always successfully and so it was really interesting to be able to find Arneson paraphrasing Leslie Cotton uh, comment and then he he reiterates that in his own words within um, um, first fantasy campaign and that's kind of like the the you know we know that you know all those guys, all the all the core members of that gaming group had read at least looked through uh, Strategos by talking because they had a copy. Um, so yeah, so that's... I don't know if that makes sense, but the idea of not having rules is really not a, a, a I don't have rules. It's that there are a lot of things that I can just make a judgment on. And that's kind of the difference between uh, the mechanization of role-playing games that I see happening now where uh I don't know. Kiranay Bacall was like, "Yeah, I have to roll on my stats to see whether if I taste the caviar, if I like caviar. You can't just say like my character likes caviar. know, it's like, no, I got to go to the caviar tasting chart. <laughs> you know, and um, and most of, and there's a lot of mechanization that happens, a lot of die rolling. Whereas in in uh, the old way of doing it, uh, we don't have rules for everything because we're just inventing this." You know, like literally every dungeon master when you're playing original Dungeons and Dragons had to learn how to invent things on the fly. And it was, uh, it's It's, like a seat of your pants sort of experience to play the game. And so, uh, yeah, that's the fundamental difference between the OSR and, and the. I'm going off. I'm sorry. Did you want to interrupt? Me or... I, I I just but want to no, jump in
1: here and say, like, um, this is. Uh, I think it's really interesting when we talk about writing down the rules. That something that to this day, no edition of D and D has really quite captured is that that performance art aspect of what the DM is doing. Right. That like, right. and that. Right. Right? Um, and, and there were some questions there in our chat about, uh, you know, did um, did Wesley have rules when he was running Brownstein? And I got to play in a Brownstein game at uh, at Gary Connick a couple of years ago uh, with Wesley. And, um, yeah, I, I remember him handing me a character sheet that was mostly just text, background. And uh, did dice ever get rolled? I can't remember. I don't think so. It, it definitely <laughs> felt very seat of the pants, like he was just you know uh he was just running stuff i think if he had any written material it was probably for the war game piece that never gets played right
2: (laughs) no that's yeah that's the thing is like um that's the essence of it is that this sort of the judgments of the referee making calls on everything and based on reasonable assumptions about what the reality the agreed reality that we have um my last game of, of brownstein i was uh uh, I think I was the, the man from Imperialist Industries, the, mm-hmm. the American.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: With all the money, I run around bribing everybody. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I love to just, like, like uh, I get people, I pay people to attack each other and stuff and create weird alliances. And I don't even play to win. I just create to play chaos. Yeah. I usually set a hotel on fire that I'm in and use that as a distraction to get down to the river and maybe catch a boat out of town. And... Uh, you know, in the game I played, I was like, we got done with the game. And I was like, well, how did I do? And he's like, well, you went down to the river with this bag of money. And the boat people were like, yeah, we'll take you up the river. And they took you up the river and slit your throat and took your money. And, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and so my expectation was that I had was going to have a winning game, right? Yeah. yeah. And I had okay. the losingest <laughs> game of the <laughs> <laughs> You know, like no. I thought I was... I, I was like, I, I've totally played this perfectly. I've gotten out of the country, <laughs> you know. I'm safe. I got the money, yeah, yeah. and instead, um, I'm uh, I'm just screwed. But um, but that's the essence of also playing, you know, original D anD D was the idea that you had to trust your dungeon master. Um, yeah, and and uh, I hate to go into, or I hate to put people down for how they play the game they play because if you're having a good time, I don't care, you know. Yeah, go for sure friends. I mean, it's just, it's great. It's like, there's nothing nothing compares to to the sort of social aspect of getting together with friends to play an RPG and having those moments that like, 20 years from now, you'll be like, oh my god, there was that time where, you know, you, like it's almost like, like uh, Greg Svensson describes the Blackmore Bunch as being like a band of brothers like in that show about the Mm -hmm. soldiers. Mm -hmm. And he, you know, we didn't really do those things, but the, the connection we created in our group was so tight that we were you know, we, we were a band of brothers like we, we were all working together to fight the Egg of Coots uh, minions that were coming down and invading and we were uh, I don't know, they, we have all this shared experience together playing in Black with Dave um, and so we, they are like a team like that, like a, a you know I don't know. It's 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 interesting it, at that, that sort of experience. It's like we didn't really do it, but we did it. Yeah, you know, it was in an RPG. But um, but yeah, getting back to the uh, the whole like, I hate to slam people on how they play. I want pe- more people to try to play in the old way. And so I mean, you know, that's kind of my big thing. I'm like waving the banner of of uh, retro RPG hashtag retro RPG. Yeah. Um, and and uh, traditional role playing. Um, and I'm sort of trying to dump the OSR thing, because, uh, I don't know, it just doesn't mean anything to me. When I say OSR, it doesn't mean anything. But um, one of the things about the traditional play style is that you're, it's an immersive experience. And so when we talk about role-playing, we're not talking about acting. We're not, it's not about acting like your character. That's not role-playing, play-acting. Role-playing... Which is a misnomer for these games. I call them adventure games. Is that you are in a, in, you are on an adventure and you are in an environment, and everything in that environment is is uh, an experiential sort of thing. You're using all your senses. You can, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna listen at the door to see if I hear sound coming through the door. I'm gonna, you know, <laughs> what does the wall look like? But there's water. There's water coming down the wall, and you can see that. Um, some sort of mineral has accrued on the wall and it's almost iridescent like opal. It might be like opal forming on the wall as this mineral drips down the wall for hundreds of years. Uh, And you're like, really? What is it? You know, it's like, yeah, it's, I'm going to touch it. I'm just, I'm curious, you know, is it hard? What is it like? It's like, yeah, it's hard, but it's also very smooth. And of course it's wet because there's water coming down. Um, you know, and, uh, and, the other thing one of you might notice is that if you, as you stand there, a very unpleasant smell is coming like through the door over there on the side of the room. And I mean, it's a really unpleasant smell, like maybe like something that has been dead a long time and it's just rotting on the other side of that door. Um, um.
0: I, I think so, that there are writing teachers that would, that would emphasize, you know, the character isn't, isn't so much what you say they are as what they do. So I think maybe a little thing what you're getting at, Griff, is that the to 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 some classic players, the essence of role playing is what decisions do you make in these risk filled scenarios, not so much the backstory or the voice, but more the characters really told through what they do. Yeah.
2: Well, you know, the most famous fighter of all time, you know, Svenny the Great. Great Svenny. Um, he was just some flunky and he goes on the first adventure. And over time, because he's a good player and because he survives and there was a lot of carnage in Arneson's game, um, half the players said like they you know, they had like one or two characters and did great. The other half are like oh, I never had a character that got over like first level, I just died. <laughs> <laughs> and when obviously David- Character matrix. Have you seen David McGarry's character matrix? Yes. yes I have, we've, yes. We've, we've, uh, yeah, like yeah. I think we've shown that on
1: here, here at some point. Yeah. Right. So we're talking
2: twenty characters of of which some survived a while and then they died. <laughs> you know, none of those I don't think any of those characters lived past you know their playtime. Their playtime might have been six months, one game session.
0: I think he's going to pile like like he's got piled like 10 characters per sheet of paper, right? It's like like one single yeah. piece of notebook paper's got 10 characters he's going through them so fast.
2: Yeah, it's just amazing.
1: Yeah.
2: But um but yeah, so that's the whole thing. The difference in the play style is that uh you don't you're not looking at your character sheet and going like I'm going to use this spell or I've got this strength with which gives or this DX which gives me this bonus to do this thing. So I'm going to I know that I have like a you know, like a a a one to fifteen chance of succeeding, jumping over this pit. It's like, what do you want to do? And then the DM, you know, like, oh, I wanna, you know, I wanna try to sneak down that hallway. And it's like, okay, you can try to do that. I'm gonna need a die roll. You know, you're not really good at doing that. You might have a fifty percent chance of revealing where you are. Or maybe the DM doesn't even tell you that. All you get are results. It's just like roll me a die, what'd you get? Okay, you're about halfway down the hallway, and the door opens, and you see this large dark figure peer out of the doorway at you with these bloodshot eyes. What are you gonna do? Um, um, and so the the it's all experiential, you know. I mean, yeah. And, yeah. and so it is much different in, in style of play, and also it's very uh, you're very vulnerable, and so the stakes are much higher. And uh, it's just a different, you know. It's like you can play both games you don't have to say like that game sucks this game is good but i think it's worth trying finding an older dungeon master like myself um, or i mean you guys are of that you you started you probably started in the 80s or something right
1: or before. <laughs> <laughs> before, yeah. before that yeah yeah, yeah. so
2: um, yeah so you i mean you guys know that you know what i'm talking about um, and so and it's sort of hard to quantize if you, people argue on, on, on the Internet and they'll, they'll use terms to describe things. But, uh, you know, even, even something as simple as a color, like if I say the color red, red like an apple. Well, we sort of know what a red apple is, but, it, you know, your eyes are different from mine, your brain is different from mine. We can agree that it is that we have a similar idea of what that is. But often people argue over my neat details, and it's just like, come on, guys, just sit down, play a freaking game, and you'll see what he's talking about. You know, I go over and I, I want to, you know, the, I'm going down the hallway, and a trap door in front of me like flips open, and luckily I, you know, you managed to not fall into the, the pit. And it's like, well, you know, is there any way I can get around? It's like, well, I don't know, what do you got? You know, or, or. The walls are kind of rough hewn here. You might be able to cling to the wall and get across there. It's like, okay, well, you know, what are my odds? I think it's always fair as a dungeon master to state the odds for the player, like, well, you know, you're you're pretty agile. You're you're wearing light armor. Um um, you know, you probably have like a seventy five percent chance of doing that. It's like, yeah, but you know, I'm 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 so agile and small that I think you know, and really I don't know. I just feel like I need. I I think I should have a higher chance of succeeding with this. You know, you can do the exchange. I I love the negotiated. <laughs> <weird> <laughs> <prince>. <laughs> but that what that eliminates is the whole thing of somebody getting the book out and saying like, "Well, it says so here that he's got this is how you do it." You know, yeah. mm-hmm. every dungeon master becomes their own creator of their rules and their world setting as you play. And every player has input. You got input because it's like, no, I think I should have an eighty-five percent, not a seventy-five percent. Um, and also, uh, the rules, the original rules, most of the the combat system is is a primitive combat system. They're they're all primitive. It's roll your d twenty, what's your number? Okay, roll your damage. Um, um, so you you have this uh, very binary system in combat. Really, all that you care about is is what have I done to the the thing when I whacked it? Um, But when you're looking at more nuanced behaviors on a dungeon adventure, then you can start to use um, these sort of non-binary roles where you say, like, well, if you hit a 12 or over, you nailed it. But as you come back from 12, maybe you would got an 11 or a 10. I don't want to say, like, you failed and you fall down the, the bottomless pit. You know, I want to give you a chance, and so like you, you know, you jumped over and, and you landed on your stomach with your legs dangling into the pit, or you, you, you're just clinging to the edge of the pit. Um, um, and so it gives you a lot more freedom as a DM, and and also because nobody wants to lose their character. You know, I don't know, you don't want to lose your character. Like, but sort of mundane things, you want to, you know, maybe injure the characters as you go along, and you get this accrual of of loss of hit points. But you want to keep the story going, let the monsters do the killing, right? Um, anyway, but every DM has their own way of dealing with that, and so so that was sort of the charm of it. Is is you certain people you knew growing up like became sort of heroes within your little community of friends? You know, like oh, I want to you know I want to play with Chad. His his Traveler game is awesome. You know, like nobody else runs traveler like that or Mm
1: -hmm. you know richard's
2: running this like really it's like this inflated game of ad and d like people just get like experience points and 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 stuff but it's fun as hell it's a different style you know i want to play with him or you know i want to play with griff because he's going to brutalize me you know but people i mean it was it's there was a sort of individual property to it you know Mm -hmm. and that's 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 uh uh, that's another reason why I encourage people to, yes, use the rules you like, but also try to create your own rulings and also try to create your own world setting and personalize it and make it your own thing. And you know, uh, uh doesn't have to be, you know, nobody's, you're not going to publish it. Nobody's going to be, the, the, the RPG police aren't going to show up and tell you you're doing it wrong and <laughs> drag you off to the RPG Dungeon Master Gulag because you were doing it wrong. Um, but you can individualize. You can make it your own thing. Um, hmm. And that's kind of the beauty of the hobby. I
0: you know, one thing um, that I really wanted to, to, to get into on the show today was a lot of the guys that you interviewed on the for Secrets of Blackmore, they're talking about their whole environment was wargaming. Right. And yeah. so they talk about, well, we had all kinds of campaigns. And when they say that, they're really talking about mostly wargaming stuff. They, we had a Civil War campaign. We had a Napoleon campaign. We had a space campaign. And then this Blackmore thing came up and it was just like another campaign. And maybe that was going to live or die. We didn't know. Um, and obviously Arneson was, you know, super always super interested in wargames and uh, particularly naval stuff like with Don't yeah. Give Up the Ship. And that he, they worked on with Gygax and stuff like that. Um For me, so and, and this came up last week. I mean, last week we were on our show, we were talking about critical hit mechanics, and we had to start with Mike Carr's fight in the skies with how the planes work there, and yeah. how that immediately fed into Arneson's battle in the skies, right? Yeah. So, and then we had one of our one of our uh, viewers Disparal BB. And now, all of a sudden, I'm wondering if the BB doesn't stand for battleship, because BB's is the, the, the standard naval abbreviation for battleships, actually, right? So, he, so disparrow BB brought up the old uh, Avalon Hill game Bismarck. Does BB
2: stand for big boat?
0: BB, I don't know. I, I don't know. It's, but it's usually battleship is what I hear. So, he brought up the game Bismarck, and that was the first war game I ever got. as a a wee lad when we had war game stores and malls and things like that. And it's probably the game, the war game that I played the most. Um, And so when I when I got original D&D, right, which 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 I didn't get until about 10 years back, actually, I flip into that section and they've got aerial combat and they've got naval combat. And I was so excited about that. And then I tried to play test it and it's like it doesn't doesn't really work super well. And then I found out that uh, that Arneson had written these more elaborate naval war game rules and aerial war game rules that Gygax really massively cut down in order to fit into the book. But right. you have you know, you have drafts, I think, of Arneson's original naval aerial games. And one of the things that I have trouble wrapping my head around, so of course I'm, I'm keenly keenly interested in that stuff, and one of the things that I have trouble wrapping my head around is, on the one hand, everybody says that Arneson has this very loose, kind of make-it-up-as-you-go conversational style when he ran uh, a role-playing game, but on the other hand, he'd write these very, very elaborate wargamey type rules for right. Down in the Skies or Final Fantasy Campaign has a lot of elaborate stuff, are, are you surprised when you see those elaborate rules that he's writing? Or is that is that not surprising?
2: No, I mean, I, uh, the, the, the elaborate stuff has to do with resolutions that need to be made that can't be made by mm-hmm. a, a referee. You know, it's, there's no conflict with a, a hallway and a door and a stair leading down, okay? You go down the hallway, we can agree, like, you can walk down the hallway, you know, um, you get to adore, what do you want to do? You know, that, that stuff is... There's not there's no conflict there. It's just... Uh, we're talking about the the role-playing, experiential, immersive aspect. And so with them... For them, the immersive, experiential aspect in their war games was that they were trying to create more fog of war so that it's not like a chess game, like well, like, like this. You know, mm-hmm. right here. Um, um, and so they're uh they're trying to add the 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 element of not knowing and that's kind of the one of the core elements of dungeons and dragons is that and what made people when it was originally released as sort of uh well it was a it was anything you wanted it to be but boy when people first discovered the dungeon thing people were making mega dungeons you know you go to your friend's house and like there was no wilderness. There was no town. It's like we're going to go to the dungeon because that's where all the action happens. Um, but that's the basis of the dungeon experiences. You have the fog of war. You don't know what's out there. Hmm. I, I, I'm. I've had this hallway described to me. I can go down the hallway. Details about the hallway are described. Maybe I'm parting cobwebs if I as I go down. You know, but I get to the doorway. And so the war gaming was the same thing. It's like I've got my units are set up here. I've given them orders to do what they need to do. Um, one of the things they did was they would delay orders and so you you had a leader figure okay well that leader figure has a command rating and based on that command rating um, the troops around that leader figure will, will follow orders or not follow orders based on die rolls maybe um, or at least the, it's going to affect their morale when they come under fire but you don't know until you get there what's going on and you're not really sure what the landscape out there is either, and and so um, one of the things they added in was, was using scouts. You, your cavalry are infamous as, you know, especially light cavalry, you can send them off to skirmish <coughs> over here and explore, see if there's anything over there. Um, you know, is there is are the enemies hiding in the forest? You need to know that before you go marching across the field and they come and attack you in the flank. Um <laughs> Excuse me. It's so dry in Colorado. It's like it's like breathing, just like sand all the time. But um, um, so yeah, there's a definite. Uh, so that there were these elements. They were they were combining role playing very early on, and people won't call it role playing. I call it role playing because what role playing is is this element of the unknown and this this finding out information, and so. There's the battlefield, which is the physical unknown, and then there's the information unknown of maybe I talk to the townspeople, you know, or I get a report from a spy that, you know, the enemy is like it's been delayed an hour coming to the battlefield. So if I want to, I can start digging entrenchments for an hour or something. Um, um, oops. Am I still here?
1: You are. You, still, have... you are. Yes. Yeah.
2: Okay. I got my, my, uh, my cousin in France was trying to Skype me. <coughs> Excuse me. Anyway, so uh, so back to this idea of the concrete rules. They did want certain things for resolutions. You know, it had to be fair. Players would. Players are okay with certain things being not fair. But once you get into combat, especially when you get into any situation where your character can die or where your troops can die, then you want something where you can go like, well... My troops are heavy cavalry. That guy's got uh, artillery on that hill. Yeah, I don't know. That's kind of dicey. Maybe I'm not going to go over there in in column because I might get blasted before I even get there. Um, and so that kind of information also feeds into the decision process for the players uh, and what decisions players make. Um, I find, like, uh, oh, I hate to sound like the guy, like, I hate new RPGs. But I, if, if I get in a group where like all they do is kind of like kick the door open and run in and start hacking and, and they seem to succeed every time they do that, um, that kind of game doesn't interest me because it seems like the decision-making process there, there isn't anything really limiting players' behaviors as to uh, maybe we don't want to do that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> maybe we don't want to fight the monster. Mm. Um, and death certainly is is a good thing you can use to 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 encourage players to you know not do things or do things.
0: i think certainly uh you know the 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 idea that uh needing to know whether like like not expecting every fight in the world to actually be in your favor is something yeah. that is possibly surprising to you know really young modern players like we like uh, our friend uh, our friend Max, it shows up on another show with us uh, uh-huh. was running some brand new players uh, a couple years back in frankly keep on the Borderlands actually. and right. they had they, they, they saw the, the, the lizard man mound that's there and the two first level wizards in the party said, well, I guess we're going to go in and explore that together, just the two of us with nobody right. else. Great and idea, Max was right? like, really? And they're like, okay, well, then you're dead. And they're <laughs> like, we didn't know that was a possibility.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. We yeah. actually didn't know that was a possibility. But they made up new characters and they came back and they were playing in a different style after that. And it's, right. it, it, yeah, it's really interesting that that can possibly be just not even on the radar for players of, of maybe the most current systems.
2: Well, and you have to, you know, that's a good referee will foreshadow the bad things, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, as you walk toward the, you you see a lot of things over there, you know, it's like, how many of them are there? There's like 20 of them.
1: Yeah.
0: I'm pretty sure that our friend Max did that. To my understanding, he totally did all that, but they really had to put it to the test to, to to really believe that that was actually on the table. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Well,
2: you know, that's yeah, that's the old, old way and a lot of people get freaked out about that it's just a di- it's a different style of play it's 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 like yeah. going you know people like to go see movies that make them feel good um the the sort of tension and, and action in say star wars okay eh, i don't always I'm, always I'm not always convinced the characters are really in that much danger um if you show somebody like a really grim movie like the uh i don't know the original uh Texas Chainsaw Massacre, okay, (laughs) that is a really grim movie, you know, and, 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 uh, so that's another style, there's this, you know, you can be in anywhere within the range of, like, the Star Wars threat of dying, and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre threat of dying, to create the kind of game you want to create, um, I don't know where I'm going with that, but (laughs) I tend to lean toward, I just, I, I really just want to, when I'm, when I'm a player, I just want my Dungeon Master to just just tear up the party, you know. Just,
0: I think just, what you're saying is that there's a big horror movie thread in classic d <laughs> and We all agree with that. It's mostly if you play classic D and D, whether you want to or not, it turns into a horror movie pretty fast. So I think yeah, that's what you're, I just, I'm gonna take that's my takeaway. You know, that's kind of the
2: well. Like, uh, have you read uh, any accounts by arneson about when he invented the, you know, the dungeon adventure? He'd been he spent the whole day watching old black and white horror movies and so he was drawing on like 50s sci-fi, right? Mm-hmm. And uh most of the old horror movies are based in gothic horror. And so so when he was running Blackmore, it was really sort of this weird mix between 50s sci-fi and gothic horror. And the way his players describe it, you know, it's it's totally there. There's like um I don't know if you saw the video that we have on on the YouTube channel where where uh Greg Svenson talks about uh the, the when they when they found the uh, the magical magical armor and yeah. magical horse that the the blue rider would wear, it was Bill Heaton became the blue rider in Blackmore. Um, it was actually like power armor, like you see like like the guys in Halo. You know they're wearing power armor, the video game. Um, he's actually wearing blue power armor, and he has some sort of riding thing, you know, which is. Is robotic and intelligent, and sometimes just rides him into battle when he doesn't want to go. Um, and so there's this weird blend between sci-fi and uh, fantasy in Blackmoor, which is, yeah. uh, I think, just wonderful. I, I I find the freedom to add sci-fi into a fantasy role-playing game just opens up this whole other box of fun and whoop ass for the players. That uh, I would say anybody, if you're running just a regular fantasy game, throw in some uh, sci-fi, you know. Just it just takes off.
0: Well, you know, one of the things that younger, that you know, younger readers might be surprised at is if you go back 50 years, there wasn't that much of a distinction between sci-fi and fantasy. Even like, so I think when I was a kid, those weren't two separate parts of the bookstore. There was like yeah. once there was one single part of the bookstore that had both of those things mixed up together. Uh, and it's really been you know in the in, well, in the intervening time. decades that those things have really been chopped up into separate pieces
2: look at star wars i mean as far as the storylines and the behavior that happens yeah. in Star wars movies are you really in a sci-fi universe or are you in a fantasy universe with laser guns and laser swords sure. um, Star wars is really just a fantasy epic it's it's you know it's it's just it's not it's a little different from maybe 2001 or something like that.
0: Well, um, obviously someone's going to point to what Kurosawa's Hidden Fortress or whatever it was called, right, that it was kind of inspiration for Star Wars from. So is a clear uh, Oh yeah. But I agree. I mean, I like the mishmash honestly. I like the I like the surprising I like the surprising mishmash from time to time. So I think that's a great yeah. point. And I don't of know course, one as one as of your videos as, was, I mean, they had two campaigns, right? They had a space campaign like yeah. James, I forget the last name, and then you had the Blackmore campaign. It was John Snyder. There you go.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, the funny thing is, is John Snyder's. Uh, he sent the manuscript. He had already published two games with TSR, uh, Star Probe and Star Empire, yeah. and he was writing. He wrote a manuscript for a sci-fi RPG, which would have come out before Traveler, um, and he sent it to TSR, and TSR sat on it and then sent it back to him. Um, or no, they may not have even send it back. They just sat on it. They never published it. Who knows where it ended up. Hmm. Um, but he had copies. Um, and then when we interviewed him, he just had pieces because he'd had a basement flood and most of the manuscript got lost. And then David McGarry is, David is just astounding. He goes down into his basement and comes up with old documents and he's like, "Oh, look what I found, you know, <laughs> here's an old you know, I don't. I, you probably are aware of Konis Borg Dungeon that was came out of David McGarry's uh, basement. So we're publishing that as like a an, uh, an, uh, retro RPG game, complete with rules and everything. Um, sorry everybody who ordered one. I know we're taking forever, but it's going to be so sweet. It's like Great. so close to being done. But um, now we have found uh, the sci-fi game, and, and uh, probably McGarry will be involved in editing that because he's very. Uh, he thinks that's one of the finest things that they ever played. And so um, there's a lot of just astounding game design in that, how he handles uh, even the random encounter tables are fascinating because it's not different tables. It's one giant table, and then you modify what you encounter based on where you are. So, you know, if I'm on a planet in a big city, I'm going to be in in this range because I get a plus 100 on my Mm -hmm. percentile roll. If I'm out in the woods, I'm getting, like, just a straight roll, so chances are I'm only going to run into animals and things like that. If I'm on an asteroid, I'm going to be in this bracket range. Um, it's really interesting. The sort of uh, John is, is a very sharp guy, and, and the design that he put into his his sci-fi game is just astounding. Um, so we're hoping to publish that. Um, right. Yeah.
0: Is it going to have that name? Is it going to be space? Well, you know, was
2: found on written on the draft it said Star Master. Okay. So it would be the third installment of his of his Star Trilogy, Star Star Probe, Star Empire, and Star Master. And uh and what's funny about that is that we're talking this is the seventies, okay? So this is before Star Wars comes out. They're playing the game and I'm pretty sure it was Dave Arneson because it had a, a shipbuilding component where you could design your own ships. Dave Arneson <laughs> decides to build this, like, mega BB, right? <laughs> Which is essentially the Death Star. And even in their game, another player, they finally ganged up on the Death Star with, like, a million tiny little ships, and they blew up Dave Arneson's Death Star. And, <laughs> you know, so uh, uh, the, the simulation of the Death Star actually proves that the Death Star concept doesn't work.
0: Great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Thank um, you, thank you, yeah. Mr.
0: Anderson, for running the playtest. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we are. Talks
2: about the game uh, as like uh, like, I mean, he's he just lights up. You see, his he's just his eyes get big when he talks about that game. But he had some situation where he unleashed some like technological device under certain circumstances, and and you know, this is the sort of thing where the dungeon there is no rule for it. You 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 create the reality as you go and the circumstances are going to dictate weird outcomes. So John Snyder is just thinking for a second and he's like, well, what happens is that you become a, a multi entity. And there, there are like 31 of you contained in this one body. And so David McGarry becomes this like multi consciousness entity with Thirty-one personalities that be- become—I think it was the Megariath or
1: something—and
2: like, <laughs> like, I mean, these guys just dream up the, the craziest yeah. stuff. So yeah. it's just like what I would give to be hanging out with those guys when they're gaming, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
2: But um, and then and then they do the same thing in their wargaming. I've, I've gotten to play wargames with them, and it's just wonderful to play a wargame with those guys. Playing yeah. miniatures wargames. Um, there is there's a certain fanboy. I try to be, you know, I'm Griff, the filmmaker. I'm gonna, I'm we equals. I'm doing an interview, but then it's like you want to play a war game. Oh,
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> I, 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 the miniatures you're moving. Those are Dave Arneson's uh, little plastic Airfix miniatures that he painted. That he, oh, you cool. know they were using to play Civil War games in like the mid '60s, and you, you're pushing this little. You know, these little plastic figures around the table that, that come, that were Dave Arneson's. It's like,
0: oh my God,
2: fanboy moment, you know.
0: You totally get like that. When uh, when Dave McGarry, uh, you know, brings his stuff around to the conventions, uh, when we were at Gary Con, he brought the ping pong table that, yeah. that Arneson yeah. originally used. And so we were like, oh, I'm touching Arneson's <laughs> ping pong table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's astounding, right? You're totally
1: good. alright yeah. I'm, I'm gonna have to cut us off guys we're we're pretty much out of time here. Um any any last thoughts here on uh on Blackmore or uh or or the uh the origins well, of the game or we were
2: gonna talk about the, 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 the dark, deep dark secret of, of Blackmore, which is right. the, the Egg of Coot. Um and so um I can tell you that there's like a deep dark secret about the Egg of Coot, which has been held secret since about the '80s, and there are only about 12 people on the planet that know the true nature of the egg of coot, and and what happened with that is um, Dave Arneson, or, or or John Snyder began a new campaign for Blackmore, and so he wanted it to be compatible with Dave Arneson's Blackmore. So they got on the phone. John was in Germany, and so they uh, sort of revised and 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 updated what the true nature of the egg of coot is. And, and so John was able to start this huge campaign. And so I guess you wanted me to go into that, but it's kind of getting late. So I may not be able to go yeah, through um, it all.
0: I wanted that. You know, I was yeah. looking at the FFC just a couple of days ago and very finely reading the part about the egg of coot because I wanted to know exactly what it was about. So I'm. it's really I, too bad that we ran out of time.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, I would say that if you get a copy of maybe John Snyder's Space Game, you know, you can probably find out because he used Excellent. his Space Game rules in his Blackmore Egg of Coot campaign, which is another thing which we hope to you know get out there for people. Awesome. But uh, anyway, well, maybe,
0: I, I, maybe we can get you back another time, Griff, and go into go into some of those other details of those other those other games. If you're <laughs> gaming,
2: just remember it's been fifty years. I mean, that's amazing—fifty years of RPGs this year. That's so cool. That is very cool. That is very cool.
1: We're
0: so we're so glad that we could have you on the the anniversary, of the start of Blackmore. That that couldn't be more special.
2: Do that too. There's a couple yeah. of them. There's like yeah. number three.
1: Awesome, <laughs> so. awesome. Well, thank um. you so much, and uh, and uh, uh, thank you everyone for joining us. Uh, if you had any any comments, any questions that we didn't get to that you were hoping to hear about, please uh, leave them in the comments section below. Uh, we would love to hear from you, and uh, maybe uh-huh. if there is a, a, a Mach two, uh, maybe we'll get to those.
2: Yeah, yep. make sure not to watch this movie that you can't see <laughs> Yeah,
0: <laughs> but, but do go to uh, www.secretsofblackmore.com and you'll see Griff's blog and you'll see updates on uh, when that does get a wider distribution and uh, hopefully updates on we're all looking for the Conisberg game uh, to get released, hopefully, and uh, John so- Snyder's Star Master. We would love mm-hmm. to see that published.
2: Mm-hmm. The fabric for the hard covers has, has been ordered for the top we're just kind of waiting. It's COVID times, you know. Yeah. is kind of delayed. But all righty.
0: And uh, we'll just remind our viewers: if you're new to the show, uh, we're so glad that you joined us today. Remember that you can like, follow, and subscribe to us, the Wandering DMs, on Twitter and Twitch and YouTube and Facebook, and we do have uh, the handle Wandering DMs on all those sites. Also, the uh, visit uh, right after you come away from Secrets of Blackmore. Uh, visit wanderingdms.com, and we have a store. We have our own store with T-shirts and stickers and mugs and stuff like that. We would we would love for you to to, uh, to, to invest in that.
1: Absolutely. And uh, likewise, if you would prefer to listen to our show in audio-only format, uh, you can get the podcast version of our show on the same website at wanderingdms.com. Uh, we're also carried by various podcast carriers, such as Google Play, uh, Google Podcasts, sorry, and uh, iTunes and Stitcher and Spotify. If you're listening to our show on one of those sites, please take a moment to rate and review us on that site. That helps other users on that site find us.
0: It definitely does. And, of course, a big thanks to our patrons who support what we do here at Wandering DMs and our other shows. We could not do what we're doing uh, without your generous help. If you would like to join them, uh, please visit patreon.com slash wanderingdms and you'll see our different tier levels. Uh, any tier level actually gets you access to our private Discord server where we continue the chat right after the show uh, each week. Uh, don't forget about Paul's uh, 10 Dead Rats. We'll, we'll have another episode coming up on Thursday. And of course we, the Wandering DMs, are always live Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. So we hope that you'll join us again next week. Big thanks to Griff. Thank you so much for being here. We appreciate your time so much. Thank you. And I uh, hope you'll join us again next week for another thought-provoking discussion.
1: We'll see you then. Good night, everyone.